You're listening to the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. In today's publishing landscape, you can reach fans all over the world. Query letters are a thing of the past. You don't even need a literary agent. There is nothing standing in the way of making a living from writing. Join two best-selling authors who have self-published more than 20 books between them. Now, on to the show with your hosts, Autumn Burt and Jasper Schmidt. Hello, I am Jasper. And I'm Autumn. This is episode 41 of the Am Writing Fantasy podcast, and we are going to talk about IS. ISBN numbers, I almost stumbled saying that, ISBN <laughs> numbers, and uh, whether you should buy your own ISBN numbers or if you should use free ones. So, yeah, we'll get into explaining all the details about what ISBN numbers are and all that, but uh, I think, can I first say that I actually had a very busy weekend here because my oldest son had his birthday this week and he turned 11. Oh, wow. That's fun. Oh, he's almost a teen. It's coming up. Yeah. So, so that's, that's the bad part, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But we had the, we had the house full of guests. Uh, oh, so wow. that, that was great. Uh, it, we had great fun and it was nice. And uh, my brother and his fiance came already on Friday and then they stayed all weekend. Oh, fine. Um, and then the other guests came on Saturday, uh, and then uh, yeah, some 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 of them, of course, left in the middle of the night. And uh, Sunday morning, uh, my brother and his fiance had to to go to because they are picking up a dog, so they had to oh. drive to pick up a dog. So I had to get <laughs> up early to make breakfast for them and all that. So I was really really tired on Sunday. <laughs> There's something about a group of kids, especially 11 years old, with all that energy that can really make you feel tired i think yeah absolutely and then of course uh when you have to wait on your guest for for like two mm. full days you know well, i don't know for, for me that i mean i i actually think some people enjoy doing that and i do enjoy the company and all that but but waiting on people is sort of not maybe my favorite <laughs> activity <laughs> but uh, of course you do it anyway so oh, but yeah, it was very it was very nice oh that sounds really good i Houseful of families, definitely fun. But I'm like you, where I, you know, my parents. We were just visiting with them, and sometimes it's like, oh, you're having a party. I yeah. will be <laughs> in the basement. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I need to. That's a lot of their their friends. All their friends are, you know, they're super nice to us, and they often all half their kids, you know, are mostly my age. So sometimes the kids tag along, and it's great, but it can be so overwhelming and. You know, after so much time of it, I'm like, I need to go to the woods a little while and yeah, just kind exactly. of meditate. That was that was also why when when it came to Sunday, you know, we just decided to, I'm going to relax on the couch and, and <laughs> basically do nothing. So actually, we we decided to uh, to watch the first episode of uh, Dark Crystal: Age ah. of Resistance uh, with the kids. Awesome. Uh, and I, I believe you told me that you watched it too, don't, didn't you? Yes, I've only watched the first one. Um giving it a try out i think i have to watch a second one but it's uh, what did you think of it <laughs> no but yeah but i think uh, well first of all my, my wife noticed that it was it's in fact a prequel to the 1982 jim henson film the dark crystal so that was quite interesting to mm -hmm. me uh but i think i would say that if i wasn't watching it with the kids i probably wouldn't watch it to be honest That's, i mean yeah. I, I think it was okay and uh, but there is 
there was quite some info dumping going on. Like, like <laughs> you can almost tell that that's because they want to make sure that the younger audience understands what's happening and all that. Whereas as an adult watching that, that's a bit like, okay, yeah, you could probably do that a bit better. Yeah. Um, so, but, but it, it's okay. It's, it's, it's fine, but I don't think I would be watching it on my own, to be honest. Yeah. That's where, I, that's how we both felt after watching the first one is, um, I want to get beyond the info dumping, which again, they're building the world that existed before the original movie. So there's a lot of information to share, but the puppets just didn't work for me. And the lack of facial expressions that how far like CGI has come and what they could have done instead of the puppets. Not that I don't want to, you know, dis traditional because I love Brian Froud. He's one of my favorite artists, and he created those, all of those puppets and the styles and the costumes. But it just, I would have actually preferred it as CGI if they digitized all the puppets and then created expressions and things. The voices mm. and actions alone just didn't do it for me. But I want to watch one more so I get past all the info dump thing and see if I get swept up in the story because I know a lot of other authors and a lot of people I've talked to really have. But it's not there for me yet, so I might watch no. one more and otherwise, you know, I'm back at Lucifer, so <laughs> ah, totally different Lucifer side. Yeah. Really I still hate it. <laughs> it gets better, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I actually, uh, to be honest, I, I I think it's quite cool that it's puppets uh, it, because it's it's different compared to what you're used to seeing, and it, it puppets nowadays it's it's pretty rare. It is rare. So I I thought that that's actually cool. I mean I get I get your point, and I I, I can certainly agree that the fact that you can't see face mimics it's it's mm. a bit let's say weird because we're not used to that. But I still think it's quite cool. Yeah, I'll have to. Like I said, I want to give it another try or two and see if I can get into it. But the first one didn't catch my interest, so we'll see. Yeah, yeah. So this week I've actually been doing a lot of reflecting because the 19th would have been my brother's, I can't believe it's 51st birthday. So he was four and a half years older than me. He actually passed away in 2000. Oddly enough, the day I met my husband, of course, he was just a guy I met. Uh, yeah. So that's, I've been thinking about that a lot. Sometimes I don't think about his birthday until like afterwards, but this year, I just was visiting my mom and it's been in my mind and I've just been reflecting about how much not only did he miss because he actually choose, chose to take his own life, but how much that event changed me besides the fact I obviously met my husband um, that same day as well. But I believe it or not, because you've only known me, you know, the past, oh gosh, I don't know what, four, five, six years, Jesper, but mm. we... Um, You've probably known me as you know a risk taker. You've known me. I quit my job, my full time job, on the two week notice to go travel the world, and you know I've done some crazy things. But I was always the steady rock who never took risks in high school. I was very quiet and antisocial, and I realized how much when you realize that life is short. Like my brother was only thirty when he passed away. I was twenty five, and how much. Um, just realizing that you know life changes there's so much out there what are you afraid of trying something scary for you know switching leaving my last job where I wasn't happy to go explore and travel across the United States I mean what's gonna happen 
I might fail. I might have a blast. I might do both. <laughs> I just realized that it really did change me into much more of a risk taker, which is oddly what my brother was. So I think we actually would have gotten along. We, we fought like cats and dogs as kids, as teenagers. <laughs> so I honestly think we would have gotten along so much better. But it also, you know, I've talked to before that, you know, August has been a really kind of crazy, was a crazy month. It's still kind of this 2019. I've said it a hundred times. I cannot wait till this year ends. But I also think that every time that, you know, things get bad, I still can't imagine making that choice. And I think about all the things my brother missed. Uh, his mm. youngest daughter is, you know, working on her, her associate's degree, his oldest son has graduated college and has an awesome job as a computer engineer. Um, his young middle son, the youngest son, actually, is uh, in the Air Force and re-upping to another role, you know, another four or five, six years with them. It's just, and his, his other daughter, his oldest daughter, actually has a daughter. And it's just like, wow, I life changes no matter what. When you have a bad day and you're frustrated and everything else that's going on. I just still can't imagine making that choice and not sticking out to see what's going to happen next. So it's, yeah, yeah, it's been such a reflective week for me, I guess. I'm sitting alone in the Adirondacks because my husband's away at a training. And this is obviously I need his distraction because my mind <laughs> is on very deep thoughts. Yeah, I can, I can hear that. Do you think it was because you were at your parents' place? Was that why you started thinking about it, or what? Why do you think you, all of a sudden, starting have started to have these reflections? Probably, I think it was there. We were talking about my mom seemed a little sad, and with my nephew who lives with them, and uh, we were trying to figure out why, and it just dawned on me. I'm like, it's September. It's my brother's mm. birthday coming up, and she always mm. gets sad this time of year. And everyone's just kind of paused. And so I think, yeah, that's what was kind of when I figured that out. Um, like I said, I usually think of it after the fact because life is so busy. But this year I've got some quiet time. And like I said, it's been a hard year. But so it's just on my mind, I think. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Because, I, I mean, I know it doesn't work like this, but I wish I could tell people thinking about, you know, taking their own life to... Um, To, to think ahead you know it's it, especially if you i mean if you're if you're rather young and and here i'm also talking about people maybe 50 or whatever right i mean you have so many years to go yeah. and and it's just and who knows what's going to happen in 10 years maybe something awesome will happen and you will be so sad that you you know ended it before it happened or whatever you know it, it it's hard to know but i know it doesn't work like this because <laughs> my wife works on a suicide hotline as well so she talks to these people on the phone so i, I know it's not like you can just tell them yeah 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 you, you should f be feeling better because later on it'll be better you know it doesn't work like that but i just wish it would to be honest <laughs> I agree. I, I felt at the time, I mean, I was 25, he was 30, that he thought everything was over at 30. And when I hit 30, it was really kind of like, man, I feel like a kid and I don't know what's going on. I can't imagine how my brother felt like everything was over at 30. And now I'm 45 yeah. and, you know, sometimes I feel it in my bones, but I still mentally am like 20 something. And I know talking to my parents, they keep telling me don't get old. And of course they're in their 70s. And I know mentally they think they're in their 30s and 20s. I don't right. think you know our minds stay at this active, healthy level, and our bodies are the ones that let us down. I just can't imagine feeling like mentally it's I'm 
done. I just can't get there. I'll just create a new world and write another book and get lost in it. I think that's my answer to everything. Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how we're going to get on from this. This was like a... I, this is like a topic one shouldn't start a podcast with because now we can't get anywhere else. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, well, I understand why you might be thinking about those things. That's certainly not, uh, it's not easy. A week on the internet with the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. Okay, well, Autumn, we have to try to move on to we something will. else. I am ready to move on, actually, because, like I said, it's actually in its own way empowering to me because... I have a I have a low bar that is so low that you know I can't reach it. So I know things are going to get better <laughs> no matter what happens. Perfect. At least uh, on on a more happy note if if we can go there. Oh, yeah. uh, we've had so many comments coming yes. in on Patreon from both both Sade and Irish and uh guys please keep it going it, it's awesome to read your notes and, and comments on on some of well you actually just i think both of you actually started your own uh, thread and just to share some info um and you're also busy commenting on podcast episodes and whatnot so that's great and uh please keep that going and well for the rest of you if you want to check check out patreon then uh, there is a link in the show notes so you go over there and, and check it out yeah, we do you, give you a ton of rewards if you if you join us there. Absolutely. And yeah, it's been so much fun with all the commenting. So it's been, it, it, it makes it really engaging and that's kind of fun. And I actually wanted to bring up um, another place that I found engaging. You, you know this, Jesper, that I'm not the biggest fan of Facebook. <laughs> yeah, I might have mentioned <laughs> that to you before. <laughs> it might have come up just like once or twice, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so kind i think it's like every email when we have to do something on facebook <laughs> but you know it's where so much connection is going well it's so funny because another um author that i really admire admire angela ford she's part of a group and she's a brilliant designer and really good with computers and she and a friend created a new app called indie author lifestyle mm-hmm. and it's a new forum really really fun forum actually for authors and so i've been on there and it's funny because the intro question i thought was really funny that she you know you join and you get a question right away to get you thinking it's what's your what's your biggest struggle when it comes to self-publishing and it's been really fun reading all the comments about you know some of it's just working on a getting editing done on a tight budget marketing and sales motivation um Mm -hmm. motivating myself to edit and you know tuning out distractions so Actually, I've been having um, way more fun. I know I really need to get back into our own Facebook group because the comments there are awesome. But if there happens to be anyone else out there like me who kind of feels your skin crawl just a little bit when you get on Facebook, hey, check out Indie Author Lifestyle because it's been, you know, in just a few days that I've been part of it. It's been a huge, vibrant community and very chatty very easy to get into um unlike facebook and it's not stealing all my data yay (laughs) yeah well yeah that and it's a good question that they're asking there because you can get a myriad of different answers to to that question because everybody will well of course a lot will share but but there's going to be a very very many variations on what people struggling with oh yeah so so that's a that's a good starting question but actually i have to say that um in the am writing fantasy facebook group just today alone i approved 11 new joiners oh my goodness so 
And so that's awesome. There's, and the last few days, uh, it, there's been a lot of people joining. So that, that's really great. And I, I can see a lot of comments going on, a lot of threats getting started, uh, people asking questions and other people's replying. So it is, it is in fact, quite a good uh, community that, that's going on there, even, <laughs> even for those who doesn't like Facebook. It so, is. Uh, I enjoy it whenever I get on there and I love seeing um, some of the comments. I know recently, even I think it was Zane, somebody Irish, one of them was mentioning even how great the I'm writing fantasy Facebook group is. So I have to admit it is also its own vibrant community. So I, yeah, I need to get back in there too, (laughs) especially when you're approving 11 and I haven't even been in there yet today. So oops. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we are several people doing this, so uh, yes. that that's that it works out. But <laughs> but it, it's good because it feels to me like, um, and and maybe maybe I'm going to regret saying this at some point if it turns out that I'm not right. But <laughs> but maybe we've sort of passed a critical mass of people now because it feels like there is a lot more activity than there used to be just like a year ago. Yeah. Um, so so there's quite a lot of people in there. I think we are getting close to 1,300 people Woo! in the group. So that's pretty good. That is awesome. Um, and of course, if, if you listening are interested in joining a group of fantasy authors, uh, just sharing stuff uh, about writing or marketing or whatever it may be, basically more or less you can post everything in there and, and people will jump on it and reply and give you their thoughts. So you can just search for Am Writing Fantasy in the group section of Facebook and then you will find us and uh, just put in your request to join and we will approve you. Sounds Quite good easy. to me. And on to today's topic. ISBN numbers. Oh, that's it, right. it sounds complicated, Autumn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it is in so many ways. At least it feels like a little bit. It's um, to me almost a throwback to the real traditional publishing days. And so there's a lot of kind of misunderstandings in the indie publishing world about what an ISBN number is and do you need it? And why are they so gosh darn expensive? Expensive. I mean, talk about one of your biggest hurdles to self-publishing. I'm surprised somebody hasn't actually written down having to buy ISBN numbers. Oh, yeah. Yeah, true. But maybe uh, if I just set us up a bit here with a short short definition thing, just so that everybody's on the same page. And then I think you can lead us into it because I know that you have researched this a lot more than I have. (laughs) But uh, as usual, I have opinions about everything. So I I can still (laughs) share opinions. But but maybe just so to put us everybody on the same page here so everybody knows what we're talking about. Sounds good. ISBN stands for International Standard Book Number. And basically, the ISBN number is a way to, well, identify books, I guess you could say. And an ISBN is assigned to each separate edition and variation of a publication. So this could, for example, be a paperback. And then if you have a hardcover edition of the same book, then, for example, those two will have different ISBN numbers. And getting... ISBN numbers assigned uh, that is handled by each country separately. So essentially what that means is that each country has their own ISBN agency that is responsible for assigning ISBN numbers for that country or territory. So it doesn't matter what you know language your publication is in. So for example, if I want to get a ISBN number here in Denmark, even though I'm writing English, I still have to buy it from the Danish agency. So 
I think that's the definitions out of the way, and hopefully that puts us on the same page about what we're talking about here. Yeah, so that's a really good introduction. I mean, I remember the first time I heard about ISBN numbers. I mean, I had volunteered and worked the library in my high school and really hung out at the library a lot in college. And I thought I knew everything like the Dewey Decimal System and, you know, but then I had picked up a book in England that a friend desperately wanted. But of course, it was an English copy and blah, blah, blah. And finally, we figured out we just needed to search by the ISBN number and then she could find it and order it and of course you know that was the dark days of like 1996 so the internet was not <laughs> quite as good as it is now and amazon book search didn't exist back then but that's when i remember realized that isbn numbers those little numbers in the front of a book actually mean something and there's some really complicated parts i mean they actually kind of tell you a lot of information about all written in like you know, numeric about what it actually means. And I thought that was kind of interesting. So there mm. actually, there, at least a, there is, is an ISBN search. So that makes it really easy to go and look for things. So if you have an ISBN number, you can just go ahead and put it into a search and find your book. But some of those, uh, I know there's a lot of misinformation out there about what the ISBN number says. And it's, um, you know, some people say if you get a free one, because that's really the topic today, is do you actually need to go buy an ISBN number? Or can you use um, Amazon? You know, when you do ebooks on Amazon, you can, you don't need one. You use an ASIN number, which is an Amazon number. And it's just good for the Amazon wet stores. And then if you go through KTP to print a paperback or like I published, I do a lot of stuff on Smashwords, but I know draft to digital as well. These other places will create, you know, give you a free ISBN number. And so why wouldn't you use the free one versus going and buying one? You know, why is there a difference? I know there's people on both mm -hmm. sides of this fence. Of, yeah, that's what I, that's what I'm wondering too. Yeah. So I'm looking forward for you to tell me why I should buy one. <laughs> oh, I'll see if I can change your mind. It'll be hard because I'm actually playing the devil's advocate because I've actually always used the free one too. But as you know, I've learned to um, question everything. I used to just do what I was told and then big events happened in my life. And now I don't believe a word anyone says until I go and look it up myself. I must be... Well, like, that, that's a healthy attitude, to be honest. I think so. I mean, thank goodness I do this as a teenager. My parents would have gone gray so fast. <laughs> I'm such a good kid. But so I'm going to, you know, it's going to be interesting because there are some information in there. Like I said, there's some misinformation, but I do use a free one too. And I know you do as well, because we've talked about this a lot. So there's a couple of neat things. So there's some stuff in there that tells you what language the book is published in. And mm -hmm. you can also find out what country it's for. There's some things that represent the title of the book. So that becomes a special unit of numbers as well. There's a check digit, which is kind of like your credit card. There's always a check dig digit that they all kind of add up to or work to this one number or they know it's a fake. And there's something in there that tells you who the publisher is. So that's sort of the only sticking point I can see between, at least in this example, uh, there are other sticking points, but the example of why you would or would not buy an ISBN. So if I use a free one from Amazon for my paperback book, it's going to say Amazon's the publisher. If I'm a publisher or I wanted to say that 
I published my book, if I buy one, it will say that. So written there in almost like a meta tag for a website, it says who is the owner of the book, or at least that copy of the book. So there is that. I don't know what you think about, you know, how important do you think it is to be able to say that you, Yesra Schmidt, created and made this book all the way down to owning this little digital number? Or do you care that it says, you know, Amazon or Kobo or one of these other places is the digital publisher of your book? No, well, I, I'll see if you can change my mind. But uh, <laughs> but my point of view is basically that I could not care less. And, and, and basically, here's why. Uh, what I care about is selling books. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know of anybody being readers who goes on to, for example, Amazon and starts typing in a publisher's names to figure out. I mean, disregard that this is self-publishing. So just say you have published your book with uh, Random House, for example. Mm-hmm. I don't know of anybody who goes on to Amazon to search, I wonder which book, I want a, ra- a Random House book today. And, <laughs> and then start, I mean, nobody does that. So, uh, well, yeah, in this case then, because I always use the free uh, Amazon ISBN numbers, then, of course, it will say that Amazon is the publisher. But I, I don't see that it makes any difference whatsoever in terms of selling books or acquiring readers. I, I, I simply don't see it. I See, I don't disagree with you. That's what's so hard about this conversation is <laughs> I read the same thing and, you know, I double checked before I, I looked at the price tag of a single ISBN at $125. I mean, obviously, if you're going to do this, there are ways of buying them in bulk of 10 or 100. And considering you need one for every single different edition. So yeah, if you yeah. have an audiobook, an ebook, and sometimes it's even by retailer. So, you know, you can have different numbers. So yeah, you, you, if you're going to publish, if you're going to need one, you're probably going to need at least three or four for the exact same book, but in different formats. So and you have to realize sometimes that can be Moby file for Kindle versus an EPUB file. Some places are really specific. So that's the only other reason I've heard people complain about, you know, having these ISBNs. If you don't own it, if you own it, you can say when you submit your book to a place saying, this is the EPUB file, it goes with this ISBN. Or this is the ebook file, it goes with this ISBN. So you only have one for your ebook, one for your paperback, and one mm. for your audiobook. Where if you're doing sort of like what I'm doing, I'm going through a distributor. So I have my Amazon one, the Amazon paperback one, and then I go through Smashwords and they give me an ISBN for all of those. But it's actually the exact same book ebook file as the one that's in Amazon that has a different ISBN number. So suddenly it's like I'm having, you know, where, thank goodness I didn't have to pay for these. I might have five, six, seven, eight different ISBN numbers that point back to the exact same book. So some people say that looks so unprofessional. I think those are, might be the companies that are selling ISBN numbers, but I'm not sure. No, no but that's also what I'm wondering because uh, yeah, unprofessional in, in what way? I mean, I can understand if you look, if you are a traditional publishing house, um, then you are using you, your ISBN. Well, I'm going a bit of, on assumptions here, but I, I'm assuming at least that they are using the ISBN numbers to, to track their global sales and all that stuff. And they can probably split it out uh, on territory depending on the country um, indicator inside the ISBN numbers and whatnot. So they can use it to, to, to check their sales. And if I'm not mistaken as well, if you, for example, if you're talking about 
counting paperback sales or hardcover sales towards uh, something like the New York best uh, best time seller list uh, or whatever it's called. Mm. Uh, what is it called now? Yeah, uh, the U- USA Today bestseller yeah, list or the, the New York Times. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. If you, if you are, need to count your paperback and hardcover sales towards that, I think you have to have a dedicated ISBN number. So everything that is just an Amazon ISBN number, I don't think that gets counted. So, so that's another thing, but I'm going a bit off memory here, hmm. uh, but that's how I remember that it works. That does make sense. And I could see that being a key point. I would love to, I know a couple of people who put together some paperbacks or not paperbacks, but bundles to make a run for the New York times bestseller list. And if I thought about it, I should send them an email and, and say, Hey, do you, when you do this, do you just do the Amazon ASIN or do you actually go and buy an ISBN so that, you know, New York times can track it. That might be a good question to ask someone and come circle back around to this one of these days. Yeah, uh, to be honest, I, I I don't like those bestseller lists because you can game them, uh, and and then there was also uh, there's also some you know booksellers that gets counted or some bookstores that gets counted in terms of sales, and then there's others that don't. Mm-hmm. So I have heard stories of authors figuring out which book um, you know bookstores mm-hmm. actually have the sales counted towards the bestseller list. And then get them to buy a ton of books with the agreement that you're going to buy them back afterwards. Oh my goodness! So, so they buy a ton of books. It gets counted. I think. Uh, I think that was how it would work. But anyway, uh, somebody can prove me wrong here if I'm misunderstanding <laughs> something. But how I remember it working was that 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 you you could sort of make some deals with those books sale, sales companies or bookstores, mm-hmm. and, and then basically got a lot of sales counted towards the bestseller list and and. Yeah, there there is articles on the internet. By the way, if you're interested, uh, dear listener, try to uh, try to search for a gaming New York Times bestseller list, and then you'll find some stuff. But there, there, it is possible <laughs> to game the system, and oh, that's why I, I don't really. Li- that's why I, I like something like the um, the Amazon bestseller list. I like a lot more because it is just based on sales. It's just based on what people buy, and there there is nothing else to it. You, you cannot game it. You cannot get around it. If you don't sell any books, you're not on the list. It's that easy. Whereas, for example, when we're talking about um, ISBN numbers, for example, if you don't have the uh, if, if the ISBN number yourself and, and it doesn't get counted, you could be selling like a million dollars worth of books and never hit the list, right? So to me, then there's something wrong with the bestseller list if, if, if it only counts a portion of the market. And not to be jaded being in the United States of America, but everything's for sale here. So, of course, you can game the system (laughs) to get to the New York Times bestseller list in the USA Today. I mean, I've seen people, you know, usually the buy-in for a bundle that's going to make a run at it is about $1,000. So, for $1,000, you can get together with one of these author groups that usually has about 20 authors. They put all that money into marketing and whatever else they have to do. And boom, you get to put USA Today or New York Times bestseller after your name once you hit the list. And, you know, that's great. But I have to say every single bit of research I've done and looked at, all the readers don't care. They don't care if you have a good book. I mean, yeah, great. You can put USA Today or you can put Amazon bestseller. That's all fantastic. You can put that after your name. But did you write a good book? That's usually what readers are looking at before they pick up your book. So I try not to take it. You know, it's whether or not you have a PhD after your name. 
it makes the author feel better. Maybe it gives you that confidence boost that is worth a thousand dollars to go for, but um, I haven't bought into one of those, so we'll see. <laughs> I guess maybe <laughs> yeah. I've jaded that way. But another thing that I've heard about ISBNs, and this one's, I, I, I think I've already worked my way around to not believing it, but you'll have to tell me what you think of this at a face value. As mm -hmm. supposedly libraries are becoming more important to the distribution of ebooks, and Overdrive is the largest supplier to schools and libraries in the world, and they circulate more than 105 million ebooks in just 2014. But they also supply to retail stores and everything else. And what's required for Overdrive is an ISBN. So, you know, you need to have an ISBN to be part of Overdrive. But do you think having a free ISBN is somehow holding you back from being recognized in libraries? Well, uh, let's back a bit, bit <laughs> up here. <laughs> uh, I think we need to be really careful with, you know, 2014 numbers because yes. 2019 markets are massively different than oh, 2014 ones. Um, and if we're looking at uh, something like, I mean, if you want your paperback or hardcover in, in the library, then I think it still holds true that you need the ISBN number. Uh, you, you, For example, I'm... And and I know you do that too, Autumn. Uh, I mean, we have a print on demand via Amazon, right? And mm -hmm. those books just not get into the library. Um, but when you are distributing wide, and especially with eBooks, which is still growing uh, mm -hmm. in terms of from a library perspective, um, if you are publishing via draft to dig digital and use those as your distributor, they actually have several different. Um, I don't know if you call them funnels or whatever, but they have several different agreements, let's put it like that, with libraries. So it's quite easy, to be honest, when you, when you then publish your ebook via draft to digital, you just sort of put a tick in those boxes to say, yeah, I want to also distribute to these places. And those ones will put your book available, at least to the library. But I have to say as well that this doesn't mean that you'll start seeing a lot, ton of people borrowing your books because it's it's the same environment as us as it is on Amazon. Uh, there's a lot of books available, and it's not like people in the library all of a sudden your book will just start appearing in front of them and you will earn a ton of money <laughs> from people borrowing. It, it's not happening. You know, at the end of the day, we're back to what we have said so many times before. The money is in the email list, and that's what you need to build. All this extra stuff is 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 nice, fluffy stuff to get your ebook into the library. But unless you are actively pushing for it, maybe telling people that, oh, by the way, do you know you can get my book at your library if you just go and search for the ebook, or if you go and ask for it, and what 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 not. If you if you don't actively drive it that way yourself. It's not going to make any difference. It's just going to be like selling books on Amazon. I mean, you can upload it to Amazon, but it doesn't sell on its own. That's very and true. And you're right, even Smashwords. And that's why I kind of saw through that one was one, the date on the uh, facts for it. But also Smashwords does distribute to Overdrive and it has some deals with libraries. So yeah. I think um, when I set up a lot of my distribution with Smashwords, I actually put all my books uh, to libraries even cheaper, which I didn't realize most 
book publishers actually send out the libraries for like 60 or $70, you know, the big publishing houses, that's how much they're making it 60 or $70 for a certain period for their book to be licensed to libraries. I'm like, man, I think I did 99 cents. So, (laughs) but again, it's also to get your name out there. And there are I've been reading about some tactics if you want to have your book distributed more in libraries, like, you know, how to send letters or, you know, I travel around and I use a lot of libraries. Thank you for free internet. I love the libraries in the United States and Canada. Oh my, Canada ones actually let you have drinks in them. Oh my gosh, that is like heathen in the United States to actually carry a drink into a library. I love Canada. But all you have to do is like, go up there and tell them, hey, I'm an author and my books are available and they're really well rated. And hey, if you go here, you can get a free, you know, it's only 90 cents or you can get a free one for the library. Just let me know and I'll happily give you a digital copy. And you can, you know, work it out. If if you're an author and you have a local library and you have not stopped in to tell them you're an author and you're a local author and give them an ebook, please just go do it. You'll be so excited. It feels good to at least, you know, have something at the local library. Yeah. And uh, there is something to it that uh, you should be pricing your library borrows higher than your sales on, on, for example, Amazon. But, but again, once you, if you use some uh, distributor like draft to digital, when you are setting your prices, it will actually give you some guide, you, you some guidance in the module when you're setting prices and it'll tell you, on average, how much higher is the price for a book like this in the library and stuff like that? So you, you're not going in blind, and you will get some support and help there in in, in pricing it correctly. But but yeah, uh, library borrows does warrant higher pricing than than sales on Amazon. Yes, it's, I know that now. <laughs> I'll have to look at back what I did in Smashwords, but I'm not that worried that I'm somehow having the libraries drain my my sales. It's not <laughs> no a huge frightening thing. And one of the things I have to admit that I really hadn't thought about with ISBN numbers, so they throw this around and they're, like I said, they're quite expensive. I mean, it's $125 for one. It's I think around $200 for 10 and then is it 300 or something for more than 100? It's something. It's probably a little more than that, but the prices change a little bit. But there's definitely some things, you know, you want to buy them in bulk if you did decide to buy them. But don't forget if you buy an ISBN number, you now need your own barcode. Because if you're doing a print book, you need it to have your own ISBN number and it's all kind of labeled in there together. So uh. that's another expense. So of course, if you go and buy a barcode plus an ISBN number, there's bundles for that or one barcode and 10 ISBN numbers, you know, now it's only $320 for 10 ISBNs and a whole barcode, which I don't know if that's going to work for all 10 ISBNs. So you see where this is suddenly becoming really expensive. I mean, I thought editing was bad, but you throw in ISBN <laughs> numbers and suddenly it's getting kind of expensive. Yeah, and then, well, I don't know. The more we talk about it, the more I just feel like I'm I'm getting, well, maybe it's confirmation bias, I don't know, but I feel like, <laughs> like I'm just getting more and more uh, points in, what what do you how do you say that points in the checkboard or whatever I don't know yeah 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 so, you're taking off your boxes that yeah you've made the right decision to go for a free one huh yeah because it, I I just don't see the point I, mean, I I as I said I understand it if you're a big publishing house but none of us are right I mean we are like nimble and fast and flexible <laughs> in the office so we don't need all that stuff. 
I think so too. And I think after I finished like reading dozens of articles about ISBN numbers and why you should have a free one or why you should go and buy them. And it's funny, most of the articles I read were really pushing you to go and buy ISBN numbers. Every argument kind of came down to like, well, it left me with this feeling. I'm like, yeah, I understand maybe that's some people still have this perception that you're less less formal, less, you know, really well put together, less quality somehow if you are using a free ISBN number. But it's a lingering sense that is fading quickly. Just like how everyone used to say, oh, indie books, they're not as good as traditionally published books. No one, I haven't heard anyone say that for years. So that's awesome. I think indie authors have finally shown and proven that we can write awesome book that publishers only wish they were smart enough to have gotten a chance to publish. But the same is true with ISBN numbers. This is something left over from the brick and mortar days when publishing houses own basically were the gatekeepers to being able to publish. Now they're being used differently. You use them still to find books, but I mean, now to have to have a different one for every single format, I mean, goodness, they couldn't have just added a different code at the end, an A or a B or a numbered number that would say, hey, this is the audio version. This is the ebook version. This is the paperback version of the same book. It's kind of just clunky and archaic And you know what? It's going to change or basically be left behind because that's just the way things are going these days. And I agree with you. I just don't care. Eventually, they're going to have to catch up with how awesome indie publishing is. I guess we just found our conclusion there. So, uh, yeah, it's probably not worth buying any ISBN numbers. Next week, we are going to talk about feeling overwhelmed. So uh, we (sighs) hope to see you there. If you like what you just heard, there's a few things you can do to support the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast. Please tell a fellow author about the show and visit us at Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review. You can also join Autumn and Jasper on Patreon.com slash AmWritingFantasy. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll get awesome rewards and keep the Am Writing Fantasy Podcast going. Stay safe out there and see you next Monday.